Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, The Student Experience Moving Forward. We are joined by Tom Sens and David Prevet, higher education client leaders at BHDP, to speak about a survey and an ongoing virtual dialogue they are having with university students during the COVID-19 pandemic regarding their reactions and predictions for the future of higher education in our rapidly changing world. I'm your host, Brian Trainer, a workplace strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves further. So my name is Tom Sens. I am one of the client leaders with BHDP's Higher Education Group, hailing out of my son's former bedroom that's now been converted into my temporary office. So glad to be here. Thank you, Tom. And David, if you could introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Brian. So my name is Dave Prevett. I'm a regional higher education client leader, hailing from the southeast of the U.S., currently uh, bottled up here in my man cave, proudly in, in Blacksburg, Virginia, and just looking forward to the conversation today. Tom, if you could tell us, what are we here to talk about today? Since we've got two of our higher education guys, what's the topic? Sure. So what we're here to talk about is an initiative that we've been involved in really understanding our ultimate consumer, the students within our higher education group. Really, this dates back to the challenge that our CEO, Mike Hable, put out for all of our teams. Seems like forever ago, but at our monthly office meeting in January, Mike announced that he would like all of our teams within BHDP to really go through an in-depth analysis on how we can better understand our people. With the idea, if we can better understand our people, then we can design better for people. We can design more strategically. We can enable what our design decisions are to really enhance the lives of our people. So Paul Orban, who's our market leader, he really focused it on understanding people really is about understanding the student experience. And that was really interesting. It was the first week of the shelter at home, work at home. I had a virtual discussion with the CEO of Galen College of Nursing, Mark Boat. At the time, it was pretty scary. We didn't know where this was going. Galen College of Nursing is part of HCA, which is like 175, 185 hospital facilities across the country. So they were getting ready for the worst. I mean, it was pretty scary stuff. But Mark put out a challenge to me. He said, hey, Tom, he said, we know the BHCP, beyond what you do design-wise, you're thought leaders. What we'd like you to do is really reach out and talk to students, see how this is impacting their lives. Just start to talk to them, have discussions with them. We'd love to hear the feedback that you're getting. And what we did over the course of April was every Thursday, we did a virtual focus group with five to seven students. And we just had conversations about how this is impacting their lives. First and foremost, how they're doing, you know, are they safe? Are they well? Are their families in good shape? But then we started asking questions about how this is affecting their journey in higher education. Are things changing? How do they collaborate? I have to say the results are just amazing. Alongside Mm. of those virtual focus groups, we put together a survey, an online survey, so that we understood at a more granular level kind of what, you know, the situation is really doing relative to their experience. So it's it's been fascinating. My partner in crime, Dave, would you want to chime in? Appreciate that, Tom. This was a great introduction. You know, the students that we spoke with, upwards of a couple of dozen now over the last four weeks, they all kind of come from, obviously, the, the Generation Z, where 
they have not yet experienced something as traumatic as what the whole country and world is going through right now. Most of them were likely born, you know, around the turn of the of the decade and the century. I would say they're probably in elementary school when the recession came along and certainly didn't experience 9-11. The observations and the questions that we ask them are certainly very much, let's say, understanding and respective of the fact that this is a this is an entirely new experience for them. We heard that it especially hurt the group of students that were really looking forward to whatever May had, whether they were a graduating senior in high school, or whether they were getting ready to graduate from college. These real important transition points in the lives of students were dramatically affected by what we're all going through. But at the same time, I would say that the students' input to our sessions was just fantastic. And it was very measured, actually. I was very impressed with the maturity of the students, the, the depth of their responses. Thanks for that, David. So it sounded like you guys were reaching out to students anyway, and then this happened. Um, did that change the frequency? Because you're saying you were meeting weekly. So was that the plan all along, or did that change because of COVID-19? Yeah, that's a good question, Brian. I think what this, what this whole situation did, it, it really gave us a burning platform. I mean, we really had to understand rapidly how this situation was really affecting students. We had been talking about doing some student research, but this pandemic really forced our hand. How did you decide which students were involved? And just, I know I didn't give you a heads up on this, but how many different students were there? How many different majors, different colleges? Where were they from? Yeah. How did you decide <clears throat> who to join? I'd say primarily, and, and it, it probably just uh, it came down to who do we already know, which campuses, colleges, and universities are we already working with, and those existing relationships. I know for Tom, it was probably a wider net than myself. I worked right here in Blacksburg, Virginia, with Virginia Tech students, and for every session, I think we had at least two that came from, from this campus. And as a, as a large land-grant university, it's a, it was a nice cross-section of what students are thinking. So I would say that as a whole, we reached out to the student population that we knew. Just to build on that, it was really good that Dave is in Virginia. I'm in Ohio. So obviously, we were able to capture some of Dave's clients, some of our clients as well. But what was really nice this last session, we were in discussions with the Dean of Libraries at Central Washington University out at Washington State. We're going to be doing some work with them uh, later in the year. As we close the conversation, I asked, I said, it would be really, really great to get someone's perspective from outside the Midwest. So Rebecca Lubas, who's the dean, she volunteered one of her student workers, and she was in the call yesterday, and it was awesome to have her, again, her unique perspective on how the West Coast is handling the situation. It was really good. How did you decide what questions you wanted to ask from the beginning, and have those questions changed? Because I did see a report that you shared prior to this mm -hmm. on some of the questions asked, but I wondered, has the dialogue shifted as time goes on? So what we did is within the higher education team, we had a group of people who are involved in this initiative. It starts with Paul Orban, our market leader. It's client leaders, Dave Prevett, myself are involved. One of our senior project managers, Kevin Denman, who's always in front of clients and is very, very interested in understanding students. He's involved. And then we can't leave out our design leader, Giancarlo Del Vita. That was really the group that was set to undertake this initiative. And what we really did was we started brainstorming what questions would really start to provoke some good conversation. We had our initial roundtable, I think it was on April 9th. 
And then what was interesting, Kevin Denman, he was out in Arizona at the time on vacation, and then suddenly things changed. So he was on a two-week hiatus, right? And that didn't happen very long. So after about three days of just staring in his hotel room, he came back, and he had an interesting observation. We had some general questions that we were asking about, you know, how you're dealing with the shelter at home. What's it like to not be on campus? What do you miss? Kevin wanted to drill down into more specific kind of why things are happening to them. How are they collaborating now? So he really added some good specifics to the list that we uh, we put together. Um, Dave, you want to build on that? Yeah, sure. It wasn't easy. You know, when you when you get an hour with students, it's just golden time. And so you want to make the most of it. And, you know, I think the first thing that Tom and I wanted to do as we initiated this was just get a sense first of how they're doing. We all know that there was a there was a, certainly a shock factor to having to go home, more than likely go home or stay on campus, as it were. Each student had a different approach, but they're in a bit of a shock. So getting that first, how are you doing? What are your current circumstances? How are you dealing with the last several weeks was important. And then, as Tom said, we wanted to get more detail. We wanted to find out at the end of the day what they understood or expected that campus would look like when they came back, if they were, were to come back. I need to say, too, that the survey that we put together for students was also very telling. And the combination of getting that first up-close-and-personal discussion with them was great. The survey was also very much confirming. Students want to get back to campuses. The overriding sentiment is we loved where we were. We miss being on campus. It's not just an academic but a social thing. That's fascinating. It was interesting to watch this all unfold in real time. I remember that I was on a work trip in the car as they were announcing universities closing. And the Mm. person in the car with me was a little upset by the fact they're like, well, they're just shutting down classes, but the commons are still open. But then that came soon after. Were there any things that surprised you as you started to meet with those students? That's a great question, Brian. I'll, I'll take this first time and then turn things to you. But, you know, there was a big sentiment of, gosh, this happened very quickly in very quick phases. There was no time to say goodbye. For several graduating seniors, they had to pick up and leave campus within a matter of days. And uh, that picture is pretty stunning. You know, when I use the phrase, no time to say goodbye, you know, that pales in comparison to the fact that, you know, our senior citizen community is literally going through that in a life and death scenario. For, for students, it's a different type of equation when they say no time to say goodbye. They have to pick up and most of them head home in a very sudden manner. So what surprised me from students is that they're approaching this with a very high level of maturity. They're starting to understand, even after the last three weeks to four weeks, that there are some things that they're doing on campus that could be a whole lot more efficient. While they do miss being with their friends, while they do miss the coffee shops that they hang out in, they're starting to realize that there's a digital world there that they could even sort of more firmly align with and get better at. And they're seeing that their professors, their administrators, their counselors are all beginning to embrace that where it's essential. And then perhaps get back to, in the more informal sense, what a campus really needs to be. Obviously, there's the geography, there's the student residences, there are the dining halls, the recreation centers. Everyone seems to miss the gym. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just to build on that, Dave, I think that that was great. To your point about the emotion and, you know, they didn't have any time to say goodbye. 
you know, there is a lot of pent up emotion. And you know, these students, you know, they feel like they were robbed of their graduation, sports activities, being able to hang out with friends. You know, they thought that they were going to be gone for a couple of weeks. You know, it was kind of spring break on many campuses. And they said, well, we'll just have it extend for a couple of weeks. And then the announcement came that suddenly two weeks became really six months. And we're even not sure if that's going to, you know, if some of the campuses are, are going to open up in the fall. There's a lot of emotion tied to what they're going through. The other thing, too, is we definitely heard resoundingly that there's optimism. There's a love for the school. You know, they took some time to select the schools that they are attending, and there's a real love for the, the institutions that they belong to. They've got a strong educational commitment. They may be changing in some ways, but they do want to complete their education. It's something that we definitely heard loud and clear. Although there is a small percentage that are really, really struggling. You know, one of the survey questions was, are you considering taking some time off, maybe a gap year or going to a community college? Right now, the data is showing that 15%, and that's a huge number when you think about that nationally, but 15% of the students so far are saying, yeah, I'm going to take some time off and rethink things. So this is going to impact higher education institutions in a big way. Wow. Yeah, that is pretty surprising. Yeah, you don't think about those kind of long-term impacts. Now, I know I have the opportunity of working with a class at the University of Cincinnati where they're doing research for us, and there are three teams doing three different research sprints. And one of the things that we had noticed, because we were able to keep the class going virtually, but that cross-collaboration that has happened over the years in that class organically is suddenly suffering. Mm -hmm. And you see, while they were working together up until a point, their ideas are starting to spread further apart. So it's more divergent than convergent, so to speak. And I, I thought that was pretty interesting. One of the questions I wanted to ask, is: were there any majors that you've dealt with or certain disciplines that seem to suffer more from that kind of separation? Oh, definitely, definitely. The visual arts, you know, we talked to some interior design majors, architecture majors, you know, how can you collaborate virtually? One of the young students was saying she was trying to build a model in her kitchen. You know, she doesn't have the tools to be able to do what she needs to do. How can you get a virtual critique of something that you're having a tough time making is, is really difficult. Another major that's really struggling is health sciences, nursing. So the whole idea that you're, you know, you're working with standardized patients, you're trying to understand how to do a particular procedure, you know, you can't do those things virtually. You really have to have the hands-on. So there's a lot of people struggling with respect to really that, you know, sort of tactical lab experience, clinical experience, and, you know, the studio experience. Yeah, yeah it, just to piggyback what you said, Tom, you know, it's interesting to look back at the survey. 100% of the students, it was a resounding uh, response, replied that on the question that had to do with in-person interaction with instructors or professors, 100% agreed that that was essential to their education. So what that tells us is that not only are there very tactile degrees that require classes for hands-on involvement, but the interaction with instructors is essential. There are the sciences, there are the design departments that require being on campus for labs or for studios. But then again, really every student on a campus is going to want to have interaction with their professors. And that's not just an online thing. That's a face-to-face -face type of discussion. That's a great point, Dave. Um, you know, we, a lot of what we heard was kind of a frustration where, you know, they paid for a certain experience. They paid to be on campus with students. They paid to get instruction face-to-face -face with faculty members, and they're not getting that. You know, there's a lot of pent-up frustration there. I wrote down a question beforehand. How prepared were the schools to go virtual? 
but even so how prepared were the students to go virtual you said at first that it felt like it was just going to be a longer spring break so i think some mm -hmm. folks had the attitude of let's just wait this out and then suddenly it was this is reality and we have to keep going like this if i could share a quick story this is in the the ohio school system the mandate in 2012 was that all schools that were on quarters had to revise their curriculum to go to semesters and there was this huge huge you know like we we only have two years to do this this is impossible we can't do that in two years you're kidding me well guess what most institutions went from wherever they were teaching to online in about two weeks it was amazing it was truly amazing what these schools did was it perfect no were there problems yes it was hit or miss within the, the faculty uh, but by and large i have to say the higher education they stepped up to the plate and they really did a great job at moving during a crisis to online education what we're hearing though is that is not you know you think about the new normal and that being the future i think that there's definitely going to be more online but we're definitely hearing that they want to have that face-to-face -face experience so it has to be a balance one of the things i understand about university is that that's the place you go to to have access to tools that you wouldn't normally have access to you know, and when you think about architecture, you know, it could be the laser cutter or a three-day printer. It's mm -hmm. something that you're not going to have in your home because it's a high infrastructure cost to own. Even um, like fine arts, if you think about foundry, you know, casting bronze, you're not going to be able to do that at your house. And if you'd been learning that, suddenly you've, you've cut off the access to those tools. Um, so there is a virtual component that could remain, but then there's other things that are a little more tactile that are harder to access, mm -hmm. you know, around your house. One of the things I want to make sure we talk about in this, since this all started as a, how to understand people better, the end user of the university, and the design implications that that would have, I noticed that you did a physical space implication analysis of what that means to keep people socially distanced. And I was looking through some diagrams, and one of the things that stood out to me was there was a 200-seat auditorium, and you showed the impact of taking that auditorium and keeping people six feet apart. And suddenly, you could only put 37 students in this 200-seat auditorium safely. What other physical space implications have you noticed, and what might be the lasting effect of that? That type of question is naturally coming up into everyone's mind now. Is there going to be a new normal? And what implications does that have to space planning, to technology, to layouts of spaces, of everything on a campus from... Um, like you say, a lecture hall to a lab to a dining facility, how food is delivered, uh, how close do students get to interact with each other anymore. I think that, that the future is still sort of yet to be determined on that question. I think each campus is going to have more than likely a similar but very much local response. What we're hearing from students and really, you know, we got the student perspective. We did not seek the administrators or the campus planners or leaders perspective on this and how spaces may change. We can say from the student's perspective, though, that there was a response from everything from, yeah, we think there might be plexiglass partitions in buildings now, which is, it feels a little bit odd and clunky, to, you know, no, I think that once we get through a semester and uh, confidence rebuilds and trust rebuilds in the new normal, we may see ourselves going back to a campus that we were already very familiar with in terms of our behaviors, in terms of our closeness with other students. So there was a range of responses from the student groups. Now, I don't think we know exactly how each campus will respond. 
I generally think, though, that if there are if there are conditions where spaces of high density are evaluated, that universities will take a different approach. In other words, that lecture hall with three to four hundred students, can there be a better density or can that lecture be eliminated altogether in person and go digital? There's a certain wisdom to that. From the students, I'd say the sentiment that I'm hearing, Tom, I don't know if you agree with this, you know, they miss each other. They miss, they miss life the way it used to be. If they could do anything, they'd like to just have that back. So they yeah. will cope with the adjustments they have to make. They will be flexible and understand that there will be sanitation. There will likely be perhaps a different delivery of food. There could be a, den a different density in the recreation centers and the dining halls that they work in. There may even be implications to residence halls that they hadn't considered, or at least they're aware yep. of now. If Once there's an awareness, they can begin to respond. Students want to return to campus, and I think that they'll, they'll do what they need to to hopefully return to the life they're used to. What do you think, yep. Tom? Yeah, no, I think you hit on one word uh, towards the end, uh, flexibility. You know, we talk about flexible design, but it's likely that it's going to be there's going to be kind of a two-stage approach where until a vaccine or herd immunity or both are here, I think we're going to have to really think hard about how our spaces are designed. And then there's the, okay, the definitely post-pandemic, we can probably return to what the current way students are collaborating and are, are learning is taking place. So we're doing a new campus for Galen College of Nursing down in Louisville. We had a conversation this week about this 100,000 square foot facility where they want to think flexibly about how they can use the space in the next year and probably think about if that's a, if it's a 30 person classroom or 24 person lab, it's probably going to have six people in it. It's going to have a lot fewer people. So thinking holistically about the whole 100,000 square foot facility, can the whole facility be thought of as a temporary lab, a clinical, where they can start to do the types of things that their students are clamoring to do that they can't do online? And then as that sort of new normal happens, it can kind of revert back to the way it was originally planned. So it's, again, starting to think about spaces in a more flexible way. One of the things our design leader, John Carlo, brought up, because he's actually analyzing this in advance, because we suspect that when the schools open up, we're going to get some calls to help them implement some of these social distancing standards. So the idea of thinking about large spaces, uh, gymnasiums, large spaces in libraries, where we can bring larger groups together. Right now, we typically plan for about 15 to 20 square feet per person when we're laying out a conventional classroom we're probably now going to have to think about 100 square feet per person. So just think about the types of spaces that you'll need to have a 24-person lab or a 30-person classroom. New behaviors. You know, think about having classes outdoors, you know, under a tree so that, you know, you can enjoy outdoor space. You can enjoy in a very safe social distancing learning outside. I mean, what a cool idea is that? Uh, Dave, you hit on the dining experience. Think about how food prep, how delivery is. You're probably not going to walk through that salad bar anytime soon. They're talking about, you know, actually having dining experiences in classrooms, socially distant, so that they can experience dining together, but they're doing it in a safe way. Labs, biosafety level three protocols, HEPA filtration, cleanable surfaces, all these things we got to start to think about that you know, we really didn't give consideration before. And Dave, you hit on residence hall. Now we're, we may need to think about residence halls with singles so that it's a single room with a bathroom in each of the rooms so that students can safely cohabitate. We're seeing it in Kroger's one-way aisles where you might 
enter the residence hall in the entrance only door and then you exit in the exit only door. Is that going to happen? Is it going to be there forever? Probably not. But for the next mm. couple of years, we're going to have to start to think about some of those things and be flexible in how we design our environments for our students to be safe, to be together, but be safe. Yeah, that, that's right, Tom. So one of the great articles that one of our BHDP leaders put together recently was the headline that healthy buildings are more important than ever. And that was just a great post. It, re- it was a reminder to facility managers. It's about the feeling that we give our users when they enter a space. Campuses will more than likely, if they're not already, retooling their building checklists, their evaluations to make sure that they're, they're not just operating efficiently, but that they're helping people feel safe, welcome, healthy, especially as they return to campus now. So most of the students are probably coming close to end of semester. Are there plans to remain in contact? Are you looking at creating a new student group? Like, what's the plan to keep the conversation going? No, that's a great question, Brian. What we've done is we've put together a database of all the students that we've spoken with, and this isn't the end. We're going to continue. We just think this is important research to continue with, but what we're going to do is I think what will be really interesting is to have conversations and have them do another survey in, say, six months' time when we're, I wouldn't say past this, but we're definitely heading in the right direction to see where their minds are and see how things have changed. I think to really measure kind of what they're thinking in the midst of and then past the pandemic. Absolutely. That was great, Tom. You know, one thing I would say is that of the group of, say, 24 students or more that we spoke with, there was a nice small group of them that were graduating, and they're making that pivot and transition to uh, the professional world. For them, several of them had to really let go of a new job aspiration or a connection or an interview that was coming up or maybe an offer. So, you know, there's a, there's a loss there, but, you know, it'll, it will be interesting in six months to follow up. We're, we're here to not just listen, but to interject and, and share all the knowledge that we're gathering. Hey, just another follow-up. Um, so I had mentioned at the sort of onset of this podcast, Mark Vogt, who really urged us to talk to students. So I reached out to him last week and said, hey, Mark, the findings that we're hearing are really amazing. He was very interested in hearing. So what we did is we put together MS Teams meeting with Mark, and Mark wanted to also include some of his key leadership. So we shared with Mark some of the findings that we're talking about in this podcast. And then Mark's follow-up was he said, this information is so important, Tom. Would you be willing to do a virtual focus group with exclusively Galen students? So we have next Thursday, we have two virtual focus groups with five to seven students at Galen to be able to kind of go through a much more targeted line of questioning so that the Galen leadership can really understand how this is impacting the students' lives and they can tailor their educational curriculum accordingly. So it's, it's really, really important to our clients. I like the idea, too, that Galen, that they're proactively thinking about how to reconfigure their space to go forward. Has any other university reached out to say, hey, we want to think about how to do this? Do you know if they're doing it internally? My university in Oxford, Ohio, they have not reached out to us, but I know they're thinking about what the impact of this crisis is on their campus. Unfortunately, with some of the funding in higher education, a lot of institutions are really struggling. Miami has put on a hold most of their capital projects, but I, I just suspect when the word is given that classes are going to open up, whether it's in the fall, whether it's a delayed start to later in the fall, or maybe even in January, I'm sure there will be the need for us to help 
our clients understand how they can design spaces so that students can come back comfortably and safely on campus. This has been insightful and fascinating for me. Are there any other key takeaways that you want to share? Anything that I might have overlooked? Because I know all the information is coming at us fast and furious. And I think it's fascinating that you guys have been able to keep in touch with some students and keep that conversation going. What else would you like to share mm-hmm. before we go? I'd just like to just kind of restate the top two to three things that we've been hearing from students. And absolutely the most important, I think, is that there is no substitute for the on-campus student experience. As much as we think that online delivery is going to help, they want to be together. They chose schools because of the quality of the architecture, the green space of having that collegiate experience. And then the whole idea that there's no replication for that hands-on learning. They need to get their hands dirty. They need to collaborate. And you just can't do that over an internet or, you know, a iPhone connection. You got to be together. How do we do that? We haven't figured that out. We will figure it out, but they want to be together. And BHCP, we understand that that's that's the desire, that's the need. We'll figure out how to enable them to do that. That's great, Tom. Just to help anchor that too, I would say that, you know, we're hearing that students understand and, you know, most of our clients who we're working with understand that, you know, higher education is about the development of the whole person. And an event like this certainly has impact but we're seeing great optimism from students. They have a real love for their school. They have a commitment to the traditions of their campuses. They're seeing advances in technology that their instructors are taking on that they hadn't before. They are definitely looking forward to seeing their friends again. There's no doubt about that. And however, uh, we can uh, continue to support that and advise our people that we're working with. We want to stay completely in step with that. You know, we'll make every effort when they do make the announcement that they're coming back to schools. We'll be there to help them design environments that'll be able to have them safely come back and collaborate together. Well, thank you both for your time. I've been inspired. It's been fun to listen to, and I can't wait to hear what comes out the next time you guys meet with them. So maybe we can do a follow-up just to see yeah, how the mindset's changed, if, if the world's changed around it. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for this episode, The Student Experience Moving Forward with Tom Sins and David Prevett, higher education client leaders at BHDP. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.